morning. the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we, we need you. We need you, O oh Lord, because there is no way in and of ourselves in our sinful bodies that we can possibly comprehend how great you truly are. Father, you are good and your mercy endures forever. Lord, we ask that you illuminate our minds and our hearts to see you more clearly, to see you as revealed in your word. And Lord, we pray that our hearts may not be distracted by what happened last week, by what, what, anything that occurred to us to take our minds from you. So please be with us as we go through your word today, to have a higher view of you, that by the end of this sermon today, our faith is strengthened in you. Thank you for this time, O oh Lord. Thank you for the privilege that it is to study your word, to learn from you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Yesterday, many of us had the opportunity to be outside the back-to-school rally. One of the opportunities given to me was to think about the songs being played and their lyrics. I recall the lyrics to one song being this, our God is an awesome God, he reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love our God is an awesome God. You're marvelous and you're glorious. Your love has made me victorious. You took away the fear in us. Now we praise you because you have delivered us. Another song's lyrics were this. All hail the king of Abraham. All hail the great I am. The only king who died and rose again. The only king whose reign will never end. He reigns over all the earth. No crown of thorns can end his reign. No tomb, no grave can end his reign. No death on a cross can end his reign. Nothing on earth can end his reign. Songwriters in these songs make their message clear. There is only one who truly reigns. We celebrated the young people going back to school, but for our church, we recognize the only way we have been able to give back to the community is because of the one who truly reigns. The one who has changed us and redeemed us by giving us new life. The one who reigns both now, forever, and today. And we find ourselves in Psalm chapter 97. Turn with me now to Psalm 97. We have come to book four in the marvelous group of the scriptures known as the Psalms. 
Last week, our pastor touched on singing and ascribing to the Lord and saying among the nations, the Lord reigns. And today, we will continue through what the psalmist has declared. And we continue with a question. How can believers live in light of the present and future reign of the Lord during the course of their lives? How can believers live in light of the present and future reign of the Lord during the course of their lives? The psalmist answers this question in three ways. By first declaring God's reign, we find that in verses one through six, by affirming God's reign, we find that in verses seven through nine, and by reassuring us of God's reign found in verses 10 through 12. By declaring God's reign in verses one through six, by affirming God's reign in verses seven through nine, and by reassuring us of God's reign in verses 10 through 12. Follow along with me in your Bible, Psalm 97. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes up before him and burns up all his burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all the peoples see his glory. All worshipers of images are put to shame, who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad. And the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, all you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. Amen. Verse 1 begins like this. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. The psalmist begins Psalm 97 strong. He begins with the Lord reigns. In other words, Yahweh is king. Mic drop. This is a declaration and an exaltation. Israel, your covenant-keeping God reigns. Temple Hills Baptist Church, your mighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, the one who revealed himself as I am who I am is the one who reigns. 
That should be universal in here, amen? The word reigns is used synonymously with kingship, royal dominion, rule, and authority. Now this challenged the ancient Near East religions as many would declare that their gods or idols as king. But Israel's confession is rooted in who the Lord was, is, and forevermore. This declaration here is a summation of the entire Bible, the world, and all of creation. Family, Yahweh is king. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, not Confucius, not Joseph Smith, Yahweh is the one who reigns. It's interesting because a hip-hop artist recently named his album with a universal truth, and that is, Jesus is King. But the psalmist continues, let the earth rejoice. Let the land rejoice. All the inhabitants of the earth are invited to praise the Lord and rejoice in him. Shout in exaltation. Be exceedingly glad. Acknowledge this glorious truth as praise is a natural response to the reign and kingship of the Lord. In fact, he says, let the many coastlands be glad. And he isn't referring to a single coastland, but the word for coastlands suggests not just islands, but countries on the other side of the Mediterranean Sea, such as Greece, places that cannot even be imagined, places to the far ends of the earth. This declaration is universal in reach. God truly reigns. Notice how the psalmist describes him in verse 2. Verse 2 says, clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Now, clouds are made of water drops suspended over the earth's surface, and thick darkness are all around him, referring to God. Notice, Yahweh isn't seen with clear blue skies, but with a cloud. If we remember in Exodus, God guided the Israelites on their journey with a cloud. Thick darkness could be in reference to a dark cloud which brings dew. Nevertheless, the Lord is concealed by clouds and informs us of his divine presence. The coming of the Lord with clouds and thick darkness. Righteousness and, righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. The Lord administers righteous judgment. There shouldn't even be a question about the Lord's judgment because everything that he does is good, right, and perfect. He is just in putting down sin. I want to draw your attention to something else. 
clouds and darkness typically represent the coming of the Lord. And this verse gives us a future sense as we will learn the Lord does come and as believers, we know the end of the story. He will come again. And because of that, this gives us a reason to rejoice. He will come again. Everything that's happening in this world, everything that we see on our, on our TV screens and the news, what's going on, believers should be reassured that he will come again and therefore we can have hope. The psalmist continues to describe the area around the Lord in verse 3. Notice what he says. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. Fire used with the Lord is usually in reference to judgment and wrath. The Lord will bring judgment upon his enemies. He will produce fire such as like he did with a devouring fire from his mouth in Psalm 18. Fire also could signify purification as well because it will consume and burn up his adversaries, purifying the land. Fire will play a significant role at the second coming of Christ. One theologian has said this, God is long-suffering, but when he comes forth to judgment, he will make short work of the unrighteous, as they will be like shaft before the flame. Notice I, say, I, did, I said shaft, not shaft. Shut your mouth. <laughs> shaft before the flame. Clouds and darkness are all around him. Fire goes up before him. And look at what else he says in verse 4. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. Have you ever sat back when it was thundering outside? And you look at the sky and you think to yourself, only a marvelous God could light up the world like this. You, you look at the sky and you just see it. The whole sky is lightened up. If not, this verse may have you think upon his power the next time you see thunder. He causes his thunder and lightnings to illuminate the world. This depicts lightning here, but it also could allude to the previous verse. How so? Well, in the ancient world, people would interpret lightning as divine fire, a weapon of the gods, for it would cause fear in the people. Notice what else he says in verse 4. He says, the earth sees and trembles. Lightning has a way in causing us to pause even when we feel the shaking of the earth. I remember growing up, 
and it'd be lightning out, thundering outside, my grandmother would tell me, hey, stop talking, the Lord is. How many of us have jumped at least once when we've heard lightning and thunder? The interesting thing is God doesn't need pyrotechnics or light shows. The creation itself will attest to the strength of the Lord by trembling. The earth sees and shakes like jello in a bowl. But even the mountains are affected. Look at verse 5. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. Creation reacts to his presence. When they were coming to take Jesus into captivity, what happened to the soldiers? They dropped to their knees. But here, mountains melt or dissolve. They become like wax, like a, like a liquid. Wax is a sticky substance made by bees to build honeycomb. We also know candles to be made out of wax. This is before the Lord, before Yahweh, before the Lord of all the earth. Notice the psalmist uses Lord in all caps, which refers to Yahweh, and then switches to lower cases. The second word, Lord, is the word Elohim, which is a reference to master or ruler. In this reference, God, he uses it as God being master of the earth and all of creation. Not only to Israel, but to all of the earth. God's appearance is so powerful, even the most stable landmass will melt like wax. Think of a volcano as it builds pressure and erupts, nothing will be able to withstand the destruction. As well as with the Lord, nothing will be able to withstand the intense pressure of a holy and divine judge coming at the end of age. Now, if mountains melt, imagine what would happen to those who oppose him. His glory will be made known. The Lord reigns here on earth, but also he reigns in heaven. Look at verse 6. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all the people see his glory. The sky, the atmosphere, the expanse over the earth, the location of the stars, the dwelling place of God, all declare his righteousness. The psalmist may be recalling Psalm 19, verse 1, from David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. The heavens proclaim how good God is. 
all the phenomena of nature described in the previous verses proclaims the power of God. God's glory is on display each and every day of our lives. All people are witnesses to the honor of God, not in completeness, as that will only be experienced in heaven, but we see his glory in part. We see his brilliance in creation, giving credence to his importance, his majesty, and the truth that he is the most important person in the world. It's interesting because when we come out of the womb, guess what we say? I'm the most important person in the world. We declare all eyes should be on us. We believe we are in control and we want to run our own lives without consulting the Lord that we have the power. How is this so? Have we ever made decisions thinking we know best without consulting the Lord and asking for wisdom? Have we made decisions out of fear because we haven't trusted God? This past week, who or what has displayed kingship in our thoughts, in our finances, our time? Have we selfishly sought our own desires rather than what is beneficial for someone else? Friends, there's only one who truly reigns, and it is neither you nor I. It is the Lord. It is the Lord. And there may be some of you today who may be struggling through some trials, some doubts, even some fears. But you can have hope because the Lord has declared he reigns. And sometimes our circumstances might not change, but the king who reigns is able to give us peace in the midst of storms. We can come alongside each other with this glorious truth, declaring to one another, family, Yahweh reigns. The psalmist now transitions us to our second point, in our preparation for the present and future reign of the Lord, and he does this by affirming the reign of the Lord, and those who don't will be put to shame. Look with me now at verse 7. All worshipers of images are put to shame, who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Notice he says all worshipers, not some, but all those who serve something or someone. Here, it is servants of images. Images originally referred to items carved from wood or sculpted in stone, but later cast 
and metal. Idols, the creation. All worshipers of images are put to shame. They will be put to disgrace. People would believe a statue contained a personality of the God it represented, thus being a deity among the people. Today, our idols or images could be money, it could be sex, it could be possessions, it could be comfort, it could be fame, sports, politics, media, and guess what? Even ourselves. They make their boast or praise in empty idols, worthless things. But the question is, why are they worthless? Because they hold no power. They won't get you any closer to God. In fact, they will drive you further away from God. Family, this world is not going to help us get to heaven. They are vain. Why? The psalmist boldly calls and commands these worthless things, the very gods you worship, the images you worship, guess what? Will worship the one true God. Everyone and everything is under the submission of a holy and righteous God. Idols don't deserve our praise. They are nothing like the true God. And Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 44 that those who worship idols are foolish. So who do we worship? Think to yourself, who do I long to be like? Who do we put our trust in? Who do we affirm as king, ruling, and reigning. God's people know who truly rules and reigns. And they are glad, as verse 8 affirms, Zion hears and is glad. And the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. Zion is a name used in multiple ways. The word can refer to the city of David or the city of God. Here it is used in reference to God's people. God's people hears and is glad. We've all heard the notion. The reason why God gives us two ears and one mouth is because we should listen more than we talk. All the people who belong to God is glad. All the people who belong to God is glad. In fact, believers should be some of the most joyful people on earth. And the daughters of Judah rejoice. Daughters of Judah could be in reference to the offspring of all the peoples in the cities or towns. 
The word daughters is in the feminine and plural. And many believe because the words for cities and villages are feminine, that this is describing all the inhabitants of Judah. Judah now was the southernmost kingdom when Israel split after King Solomon's reign. The psalmist is saying all of God's people will be exceedingly glad. Why? Because of your judgments, O Lord. God brings his judgment against his people's enemies. He saves them from their enemies. And the psalmist reminds them in verse 9, For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all the gods. Now, verse 9 takes a little different shift here. Because the psalmist is speaking directly to God. It becomes a prayer. He starts with, for you, O Lord. For you, Yahweh, are most high. You transcend highness. You are far grand than we can ever think or imagine. You are so mighty that we can only gain or think of up to a glimpse of how grand and mighty he is. His supremacy is all over the earth. It is beyond our comprehension. You are far above all idols, all images. You are above the unbelievers' gods. You are over the things seen and the gods who are unseen. Yahweh is over every other nation's idols, over Egypt, over Philistia, over Assyria, over Babylon, over Canaan, and the idols we have here in America. God is over them all. And for that, we can rejoice. Believers can affirm the present and future reign of the Lord because he is exalted. And because he is exalted, everyone in this building today can rejoice. A young man was speaking to his mother one day and telling his mother about how wonderful the woman he had been dating for years was. Oh, mom, she is the best. I have never thought about another woman the way that I do for her. She is gorgeous inside and out. She cares for me. When I was sick, she brought me soup. When my car wasn't working, she took me to work. She prays for me, and she can make biscuits from scratch. I truly love her. And as he finished, mother had a puzzled look on her face. She said, I don't understand. What do you mean? She said, why haven't you married her? Why haven't you committed to her forever? You see, affirming someone isn't just saying with words good things, but it's belief 
followed by action. The father affirmed the son at his baptism and his death. The psalmist affirms the Lord reigns over all the earth. It wasn't just words on a scroll. It was belief followed by action. The question is, do we affirm the Lord as king over our lives? Have I displayed belief followed by action or have I displayed confession followed by unbelief? How we live during the week matters. But we, because we can, undo our li- we can undo our words how we live our lives. We've looked at two ways believers can live in light of God's, pu- God's present and future reign by declaring and affirming. Now let us look at the third way the psalmist helps us for the present and future reign of the Lord by reassuring us of his reign in verses 10 through 12. Verse 10. Oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Now here the psalmist issues a command Oh, you, oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. Oh, you, Zion, oh, you, daughters of Judah, and for us, new covenant believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, you who continuously love the Lord, those of you who are glad because of his judgments, who don't love idols or images, those of you who have a continuous, deep, self-sacrificial love devoted in service and worship to him, those of you who love him and keep his commandments and love other people, here's the command, hate evil. The original is more emphatic. It reads, you will hate evil. That's true. Because the more you love the Lord and draw closer to him, the more you'll hate evil. The more you will hate sin. Because we live in a world where evil is glorified. Evil and sin is present everywhere. It's on the TV, it's on the internet, When we step outside the door of our homes, it's on the billboards, the signs. I remember traveling down in St. Louis one time, I was traveling and there was a a billboard up for a boat. You might say, well, what does that have to do with evil and sin? Well, you would have thought that, hey, they were truly advertising for just the boat, except there was a woman in a bikini laid across the top of the boat. So it shows us what type of actions they were attempting to invoke inside us as well. But sin is not only just present on the outside, it could be present in our thoughts and our desires as well. But we are to hate evil. Why? Look at what the psalmist says next. He preserves 
the lives of his saints. Now this is a cause for rejoicing because he's just given us the bad news, but here's the good news. He preserves the lives of his saints. This should invoke praise and thanksgiving. Yahweh protects or keeps the lives. The word lives here refers to the entire person, the soul. He keeps the lives of those set apart for righteousness. Problems and trials may come our way, but if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he will preserve your soul. Jude 24 and 25, we know this. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority both all time and now and forever. And let the church say, amen. Now, what this doesn't mean is that you're gonna have a sin-free life where you won't go through any hardships. But we can be reassured. God will protect the souls of his people. He preserves the lives of his saints. Notice the pronoun that is used. They are his. They belong to God. They are God's saints, and he delivers them from the hands of the wicked. He keeps them from the hand or the possession of the wicked, from those who would cause harm to them eternally. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 18 reads, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. The real God is the one who doesn't leave his people. The one who has the capacity to rescue and guard his people. The one who ultimately reigns both now and forever. This is the Lord who the psalmist is declaring, and it is reassuring to know that no matter what happens to us in the present, no matter what happens in the future of our lifetimes, God will preserve his people. Have you ever reflected on a long car ride? I know my brothers from Louisville might be familiar with this. I remember as a kid riding in a car to Chicago from St. Louis. I'd be in my parents' 1997 Chevy Impala in the back seat looking out the window wondering when we were ever going to make it. No scenery, but farmland. And this would be the time where there wasn't any cell phones, so you know it was long and boring. Felt like we kept seeing the same sign over and over. Chicago is about a five-hour car ride from St. Louis, but it felt like eternity. Thought my clothes was going out of style. I would ask my dad almost every 10 minutes, Dad, how much longer? 
Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? He would answer me, but inside I felt like his answers weren't good enough. A child can only hear, yeah, we are close on so many times. Come to think of it, he probably said that because every, every minute that we passed, we were technically that much closer to Chicago, even if it was just an inch. And that's when I would begin looking out the window at the signs. Chicago, 50 miles away. Chicago, 25 miles away. These words would help me because my dad's answers weren't reassuring me that we were getting any close to Chicago, any closer to Chicago. Now get this. God has demonstrated his rule and reign not only through creation, but he reassures us of it when we read his word. This is a call to live in a way anticipating the second coming of the Lord, loving the Lord, rejecting evil, rejecting whatever attempts to corrupt our minds and our hearts, and loving and serving one another, calling and checking on each other, and seeing if any needs can be met reassuring and encouraging other of God's love and God's rule. Not only can we be reassured of God's care for his children, but notice what else the psalmist reassures us of in verse 11. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Now, light is what makes things visible. Its imagery denotes holiness, truth, love, joy, and life. It is sown for the righteous. Imagine the seed of light being placed in the ground. God is the one who sows, and here he is still being displayed as creator, sowing seeds of light for the righteous, the ones who are blameless. They haven't taken upon themselves Christ's righteousness because they have recognized, hey, there is no righteousness in and, of my, in and of myself apart from Christ. They see with new eyes, knowing their utter depravity, their utter brokenness before the Lord. There is no boast or claim of greatness among these individuals because they realize that if it wasn't for the Lord Jesus Christ dying upon the cross, rising from the grave to defeat defeat death, there would be no hope, no eternal life, no ultimate satisfaction that would cure the evil heart's desire. This may describe someone here today who wants the light who wants to be reconciled with God through Jesus Christ. Is that you today? Because you can receive eternal life today. And for those of us who are believers, we can be reassured because light is sown for the righteous. We have all been created in God's image and likeness worthy of respect and dignity. And God at one time looked upon everything he has created as good. But yet we have fallen. 
We have fallen short of God's glory. We have fallen short of his intended purpose for us, and we need redemption. We can know true love. We can know how to love others, and that can only be discovered through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Turn to him today, because you can have real joy. Your life can truly be changed today through repentance and faith. Talk to someone afterwards. Feel free to stop someone after service because all of us needs this reminder that Christ came, died on the cross, and rose from the grave, redeeming us to be in right fellowship with the Father. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Great rejoicing is set aside as provision for the upright or the blameless in heart. And lastly, look with me at verse 12. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. The psalmist ends with the command to rejoice. Be exceedingly glad. And what is most important is the one believers are to rejoice in. In the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord of Israel, the God of our salvation. And who is to rejoice? Oh, you righteous. Those of you who are pure in heart, innocent. And what else are we to do? Give thanks to his holy name. Give thanks to his holy name. All of us in here have a reason to give thanks to his holy name. If you go to your closet and you got options, you can give thanks to his holy name. If you go to your refrigerator and you can make a choice on what you want to eat, you can give thanks to his holy name. If you got transportation, give thanks to his holy name. If he woke you up this morning and started you on your way, you can give thanks to his holy name. If you have been saved by Christ, most importantly, you can give thanks to his holy name. Giving thanks is a form of praise. And as believers, we should be in a continual state of praise and thanksgiving. God deserves our praise. Now, we hear of some folks who probably cheer loudly for their sport, more loudly for their sports teams. Have you ever been to a sporting event? And you've seen the devotion and lung power some give to their favorite sports teams? I mean, I'm seeing brothers taking off their shirt, play, uh, putting paint all over their stomachs, and shaking rolls and all. It's all, I mean, it is a sight. In fact, I remember the COVID lockdowns when everything began. And I, my favorite basketball team was in the finals on their way to a championship. And I was cheering loudly for the team. You should have heard me. And we stayed in an apartment, too, so I'm sure somebody heard me through the walls. And during the time, someone, <coughs> Dominique, uh, reminded me, brother, you are really excited about this team. You making all kinds of noise. Now, and she whispered this to me, which was interesting. She said, now, make sure 
you rejoice loudly for the one who actually matters on Sunday. If we can rejoice in a sports team who has no bearing on our soul, how much more should we rejoice in the one who is able to save our souls? Give thanks to his holy name. Believers, as believers, we should be some of the most thankful people on the earth. Because we are the ones who recognize, ultimately, who thanksgiving should be rendered to his holy name. Not just on, what is it, November 25th, thanksgiving should be a part of our lives. Thanksgiving should be rendered to his holy name. His name here refers to his nature, his divine attributes revealed in word and in deed. This is an explicit call for believers to have joy in Yahweh. We do well to remind each other to rejoice in the Lord. Reflect on his promises. Family, have joy in the Lord. Rejoice in his marvelous works. The Apostle Paul reminds us so famously in 1 Thessalonians verse 5 and chapter 5, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, give thanks in every circumstance. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is our call now and for eternity as we will rejoice in the Lord both here in the present and in the future because he reigns. The psalmist has provided for us answers for as how we as believers can live in light of the present and future reign of the Lord during the course of our lives. He has done this by declaring in verses one through six, by affirming the reign of the Lord in verses seven through nine, and by reassuring us of the reign of the Lord in verses 10 through 12. Family, we, we need to live in light of this truth because we serve a great king who truly reigns. This should cause us to walk away from today with hope, with reflection, with joy, because no matter what happens in our lives, the Lord is still upon the throne. We serve a great king, live by serving one another because of this marvelous truth. Come alongside one another. Let us not deny hardships, but remind each other, hey, things may seem hard, things may seem rough, but we love you and we'll stand by you because of the God who reigns. The question is, who is truly reigning in our lives? Because even though we may think we are in control, and we have the tendency to think we're running things, there is one, there is only one who is truly ruling both now and forever. And his name is Jesus Christ. One theologian has said this. This is the watchword of the psalm. Jehovah reigns. It is also the essence of the gospel proclamation and the foundation of the gospel kingdom. 
Jesus has come, and all power is given unto him in heaven and in earth. Therefore, men are bidden to yield him their obedient faith. Saints draw comfort from these words, and only rebels cavil at them. Let the earth rejoice, for there is cause for joy. Other reigns have produced injustice, oppression, bloodshed, terror. The reign of the infinitely gracious Jehovah is the hope of mankind. And when they all yield to it, the race will have its paradise restored. Our paradise will be restored if, when we recognize that Jehovah, that Yahweh is king. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for this time today. Lord, many of us come to you broken. We come with problems. We come with issues. Lord, we've even sought rulership over our own lives. No one here is, is, is exempt from that. But Lord, you have the power to change hearts. Your word is powerful. Your your word is glorious, and I pray even today that you change all of us in here. And when we are tempted, when we are tempted to seek control over our own lives, that you remind us that you are in control. You remind us that you put, and that you put people around us to continue to point us to the Savior. Thank you, O oh Lord, for your power. Thank you for your majesty. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit, Lord. May we live in light of this truth, that when we leave here today, that when we walk out of this place, that Monday through, through Saturday, that we will continuously declare, Jesus is king. We thank you for this time today. We thank you for this privilege, Lord. We reflect on even our brothers and sisters in, in Afghanistan who are unable at this time to gather. Be with them as well. In Jesus' name, amen.